what do happy couples know? One, we, we know that hopes, dreams, and desires, you know, Matt's box of hopes, dreams, and desires begin to feel a lot like expectations. She's sneaking up on me again. She does that quite often. I love it when she does that, though. I let her catch me every once in a while. It's so delightful. <laughs> so what do happy couples know? Happy couples uh, know that they have to decide. They have to decide that they owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. Right? You got that down? You've been practicing that the last couple of weeks? And the second thing they know is a submission competition. It's a race to the back of the line. So we're always putting our spouse first. And the third thing we know is sometimes you got to throw things, right? Anybody throw anything this week? <laughs> right. Well, you have to be kind of careful because it, it's not just everything or anything you can throw. You have to get last week's lesson in order to understand what to throw things. What, what do we throw anyway? We cast our burdens, our anxieties on the Lord, right? That's what we throw. So we got to be good throwers, right? So, but they know one other thing as well, and that's what we're going to discover today. They know that they have a choice. you got to know you have a choice. Happy couples know they have a choice. And today I want to talk about a choice that every couple person makes every day, and so often it feels more like a habit or a reaction than anything else. You may not even know that you make it, uh, that you even have a choice to make it. But most coupled folks don't think they have a choice, but they do. That's right. Amen. Uh, Happy couples make the happy choice. So what's the choice every happy couple person makes that they don't know that they make every day that makes all the difference in their happiness? Did you follow that? All right. We're going to find the answer to that in... The love chapter. Everybody know the love chapter? What's the love chapter? First Corinthians 13. How many of you had that read at your wedding? Okay, nobody. You're all heathens. Oh, there's one back there. All right. You, certainly you've all been to a wedding somewhere where you've heard, heard that read, right? So, but we're going to find the answer to this in, as we work through the, the love chapter. See, the love chapter... Is Paul's instructions to uh, a congregation, to a church of recent converts. And he's been teaching them about community, integrity, and spiritual gifts. And in the middle of that conversation, he interrupts it to teach them about love. He interrupts it with this love chapter, and he helps them to, to understand that these gifts, even these gifts that are from God, these God-given gifts, are of little value without the possession and the practice of love. Now, that's pretty powerful when you think of what God can give us, right? Without love, all we have left is religion. And our faith leads us toward relationship and not religion. If you want to know what's unique about what we believe, it's relationship. And we're called to extend that relationship that we enjoy with the Father to those around us, and in particular, to those we share life most closely with. Does that make sense? So most of what Paul says does make sense. One statement in this list here of the first seven verses is kind of, we're going to have to dig a little bit to make it make sense, I think. In fact, it sort of sounds naive, but it's in that statement that we're going to find the secret of what happy couples know. Let's start digging through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to go through the first seven verses while we're here today. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men 
and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. You see, there you go. That last uh, statement is a reference to the type of worship that they came out. That's how they worshiped their gods. It's like beating pots and pans. They, they beat cymbals and clanged, uh, uh, just made a lot of noise. And that, trying to get the attention of their gods. Are you noisy? Yeah. yeah. Are you noisy? Well, that, without love, that's all we are, is a bunch of noisy makers. Noise makers. So what's meant to be for God's glory becomes noise and no better than pagan worship without love. Now that's very important. Really try to let that soak in. He goes on in verse 2 to say, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, that's what prophecy does. It unravels mysteries. And all knowledge, that means those special words that God out of heaven shares his thoughts with you in real time. And if I have a faith that can, that can move mountains, I believe the word of God. And I believe God does everything he says he does. But I do not have love. I am nothing. That's zilch, not a zip, bupkis. Help me out. What else we put in that list? But it's nothing, right? It just brings to naught everything else. We can, we can dive into all those practices, but without love, it leads to nothing. He says that if I give up all I possess to the poor... And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, that's a hard one, right? There's people all over this world who are self-sacrificing. But you know what that turns out to be? That's just manipulation, isn't it? If I just I put myself in harm's way, now you owe me. That's our expectations, right? I've done this for you, now you owe this to me. Look at what I've done. What a giver I am. Ah, oh, I just give all the time. Give, give, give. That's all I am. What do you think about that? Well, that's zip, not a, without love. Love is what makes all the difference. And if you give to get, guess what you gain? Nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And it is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. I don't measure up very well in that list. So wouldn't you love to be, who here would love to be in a relationship with a person like that? Come on, don't be shy. I'm having a little trouble seeing with the light in my eyes, but yeah. Guess what? How many of you who raise your hand are in a relationship with a person? Yeah? So don't you suppose that person you're in a relationship would love to have a relationship with a person like that too? Yeah. The real challenge is to be that person, isn't it? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And this is how God is with you and how you express God to others. God, all these statements are God's way of being with you. Have you ever realized that? God loves you. He protects. He does all these things for you. It always protects. God's love always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always, always, always. Always. But one of these things is a little difficult to swallow. Because it doesn't depend entirely on us. We can suck a lot of things up and just perform them. But sometimes what we do has to rely on somebody else. So which one is it that relies on somebody else? Always trusts. 
because that means that I've got to depend on you to be trustworthy, doesn't it? And therein lies the problem. So literally, I've got to believe that everything you tell me is the truth. I have to default in our relationship to all of our interactions to trust. Like when Nita came up here, I didn't see what she came up here after, but I have to trust she wouldn't come up here to knife me or to shoot me or to yank me off the stage. I trusted whatever she was going to do, it was going to be good for me because it always is. When she seeks up behind me, it's not to harm me, it's to delight me. So we just have to trust those kinds of things. Wouldn't you love to be in a relationship with somebody who could do that for you? Trust you. See, trust is a keystone habit for happy couples. And in every relationship, not just romantic relationships, that means all of you who aren't married and aren't dating right now, pay attention, all the younger folks, pay attention. In every relationship, not just romantic relationships, not just marriage, not just dating, not engaged, but in every relationship, even the ones at work, from time to time, there's a gap between what we expect someone to do and what they actually do. And that's kind of disappointing. They said, yes, I'll, I'll be there at 6. I'll, I'll pick that up. I'll do that for you. You can trust me. I'll have dinner ready for you. I'll be there in time for dinner. I'll make sure to tell them. I'll make sure to tell her. But what happens? Our experience is, goes back to zip, not a zilch, doesn't it? There's expectations, and then there's what we experience. In every relationship, there's gaps between expectations between what we expect and what we experience. Every single time, what we place in the gap is the choice that we make. That's the choice we're talking about today. We don't even realize it, in fact. I think most of the time we don't realize we're making the choice because it feels like a response. It feels natural. It feels like a reaction. But every time between expectation and experience, we fill in the gap with one of two things. And our happiness and the happiness of our relationship depends on how we fill that gap. You see, we either choose to believe the best. We take the uh, expectation and fill the gap between expectation and experience with believing the best. That's... I don't know why. I don't know why he's late, but I'm sure he's got a good reason. I don't know why she didn't, but I'm sure uh, there must be a problem somewhere that kept him from doing it. I don't know why they didn't follow through. I don't know why they didn't tell. I don't know why they didn't. I didn't know why this. I don't know why that. But you just assume that instead of the intent to cause you harm, something happened to them. Like, well, my wife's five minutes late. I said, oh, no, she's in the ditch by an accident. Oh, no. So I'm so delighted five minutes later when she shows up. Doesn't really work that way, does it? <laughs> but we have to fill in that gap with the believe the best. But we have another choice. I don't want you to re- think that there's not more than one choice. The other choice is you could assume the worst. And how's that working for you? We place something in the gap uh, that just starts to predict the future in a very negative way. Does that work for you? Is that the kind of partner you want in life? So don't be that partner. We place something in the gap. Happy couples. Happy couples make it a habit. They make it a habit to choose to believe the best. 
not to assume the worst. Love chooses, happy couples choose to believe the best. A recent two-decade study uh, was on a search, on a quest for the common denominator for happy couples. They wanted to know what made happy couples happy. And you might assume that it was because the longer they lived together, they learned to adjust their expectations, lower their expectations, and become more realistic with one another, and therefore not be disappointed. But you know what? This uh, two-decade study showed just the opposite. Rather than lowering expectations, they raised their expectations of, the par- of their couples, of their partners. Happy couples rated each other more positively in every category than that person rated themselves in the same category. In other words, they thought more highly of their partner than their partner thought of themselves. Happy couples, as it turns out, had unrealistic, positive view of their partners. They were blind to their partner's deficiencies. How many of you want to be buried to a blind person? Come on, admit it. That's what we want. Deaf and blind. That, that's what we want. And their conclusion, this positive illusion created an upward spiral they called the upward spiral of love. See, this illusion of, created a conviction. In other words, the partner wanted to be everything that they were perceived to be. And that conviction led to security. And security, that trust, always fosters intimacy because you're not afraid of getting hurt. And intimacy always fosters love. It's the freedom to be generous toward one another. See, their recommendations, and you can take this to work with you, you can take it home with you, you can take it uh, in your relationship with your children, it's just simply to find the most generous explanation you can for each other's behavior and believe it. Believe it. Choose to believe the best. So where do you get wisdom like that? It's in the Bible, isn't it? It's right there in the Bible. Now, how many of you want your spouse to go home and start reading their Bible more? That's what we want, right? Well, I suggest we all do that. The Bible is full of little parcels of wisdom like this that make our lives better. It shows us how life is supposed to work. Now you all have excuse to start studying and reading your Bibles together as couples, right? And looking for those little pearls of wisdoms. But there's two things that make it difficult to believe the best. Two obstacles. And one of those obstacles is, we've already talked about it, is what we experience. Our experience is that people let us down, right? We've all been disappointed, but even by the people closest to us. Our past experience with everyone else makes it difficult to think the best about anyone else. Did you catch that? Our past experience with everyone else makes it difficult to think the best about anyone else. He's late again. She forgot again. They always, and they always fail me. They never keep their promise. They always, I, you know, over and over and over again. And the second obstacle is who we are. And this one's really powerful. Let's be honest. None of us showed up in the relationship that we're in as a blank slate, did we? We've been somewhere. We showed up in our present relationship with baggage, with hurts, with wounds. 
We've been wounded by our parents, our mothers and fathers. We've been maybe by our grandparents, by uncles and aunts. We've been wounded by the, the bosses. We've been wounded by our brothers and our sisters. We've been wounded by our churches. And because of all that, we have learned then to assume the worst and fill in that gap with the worst. Isn't that true? We measure any one person by the failure of all others we've encountered. That may have happened at an early age where we learned not to trust. But all these wounds, in all these wounds, we bring all that stuff, all that relationship pus, if I can say that. Certain behaviors that we encounter trigger Specific responses from us. They sound familiar. They may not be out of the same person, but they're so familiar, we make the same assumptions. Does it make sense? But we can still choose to believe the best in spite of both. Instead of giving in to uh, assuming the worst, we can choose a generous explanation and then in turn to believe the best. And with that in mind, listen again to this inspired ancient wisdom that Paul is sharing with us. Let's go to to verse 6. It says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love isn't trying to catch the other person doing something wrong. It's catching them doing something right. I thought you would do that. I knew you were that way. That's so delightful. Love isn't trying to catch the other person doing something wrong. But that's our practice so often, isn't it? We lay in wait. Love always protects. See, Love protects. It doesn't let suspicion sneak in. When you're not protecting your spouse and when you're not trusting, suspicion fills in that little gap, doesn't it? And suspicion itself is a self-fulfilling prophecy most often. What you suspect about your spouse almost always turns true. And guess what? You're the one that feeds that dog. Love always trusts. That means it chooses to trust, chooses to believe the best, chooses a generous explanation. We've already said that love always hopes. It means it trends positive, not negative. No matter where it is, it says, oh, this is not as good as it is. It's going to get so much better. And love always perseveres. Now, that tells you there's something real going on here. Persevering, if your love has to persevere, that means it's got to hit some rough spots, right? So if you're having rough spots in your love relationship, that is not in itself indicative of bad things. It's the choices you make in those rough spots. Do you get my point? That's where all the difference is made. See, love is determined to trust anyway. Perseverance implies resistance, doubt, suspicion, fear, work even, effort. I mean, I got to work on this relationship? Whew. Anita and I do counseling, premarital counseling. We somehow we often get to marry people, uh, perform the weddings. We, we get to. It takes six, eight, ten years. But we counsel them before they get married. Still doesn't always take. Uh, but we we spend a lot of time in counseling. And one thing we've discovered is that we're taught how to play soccer. We're taught how to use our telephones. We're taught how to balance our checkbooks sometimes maybe. We're, we're, we're taught how to do a lot of things, but one thing we're never taught and not expected to, to put any effort or setting into is two things really, marriage and children. And what's the two most important things you can do in this world, I suppose? 
what, what sets the pace of the future world. It's our, our relationship as, as husband and wife and the children we raise in that relationship are scar, right? So it's very important that your love persevere so that when you hit a rough patch, you don't just say, oh, I guess I was wrong about that. It's more believing the best, that there is a future, there is a hope, and there is a way because this book of ancient wisdom that we all love has the answers in it. So, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Now, that's beautiful, ancient wisdom. Instead of trying to catch the other person in the wrongdoing and and justifying your bad attitude toward them, it delights in the truth. Love always protects all those things. But here's the, the hard one. Do you believe the worst or do you believe the best? Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? Do you immediately go negative? Happy couples know it's your choice. It's your choice every single time, even when it doesn't feel like a choice. When, the, when your face is red and when the words are coming out of your mouth you're going to regret, it's still your choice. I want to help you cross that bridge of choice and, and understand just how powerful that can be. We had an experience in our life. My, Anita's going to come up here and share a story about a time when God arrested her in the middle of a moment she was filling in the gap between experience or between uh, expectations and experience. This is my wife, Miss Anita Blair, my delightful one. Mute. Which button do I hit? <laughs> Not that one. You're hot. You are hot, babe. <laughs> I tell you. So how many of you have a history? And how many of you have lived with folks in your life that spoke or looked or acted in ways that got a reaction ingrained in you? How many of you could get to where you could recognize that pattern that developed in those circumstances? How many of you would extrapolate and run ahead of the pattern because you knew what was coming next? And how many of you, how many of us, go ahead and have the reaction to something that hasn't even happened yet? Those experiences and program patterns travel with you in your life, and they affect all of your relationships. Charlie's been talking about the gap times in our marriages, and really it's in any relationship, and how you choose to fill that gap. It's also known as jumping to conclusions, and some of us could meddle in Olympic long jumping. I want to tell you about one of those patterns in my life experiences and how God intervened and transformed my mind. That's what he promises to do. Like many of you, I had relationships prior to my current marriage. (laughs) The relationship I had with the father of my children was really all about him. There were many times and many ways that confirmed that I was not at the top of his list. I wasn't in the top three. 
And it was very probable that I wasn't on his list at all. The things that he would do and the things that he would say were like clockwork. And once they started, they were predictable and consistent and the pattern never changed. So you fast forward 18 years of that garbage and the pattern is set deep and it's automatic in both of us. So enter a new marriage with Mr. Wonderful. Life is sweet. Life is good. It's unicorns and sparkles all the time. (laughs) Exactly. And then the day happens that action number one of that pattern happens. And it takes you aback. And you think, no. No, not again. And then number two happens in more ways than one. And the pit is back in your stomach. Then action number three, and you go ahead and have that long jump response. And you're judging someone who hasn't even done anything yet. On this particular day, the pattern of my experience is repeating, and I'm reacting to the pattern. Charlie is, once again, as he always is in our relationship, clueless to what has set me off. But I am furious as I drive to work and God enters my car through the radio. Billy Joel, who can hit some ridiculously high notes, is singing, I am an innocent man. Oh, yes, I am an innocent man. Oh, Okay, so you have to take that another octave up for Billy Joel. But anyway, God arrested my rant with those words, and I knew what I had done. In New City Church language, that's a kairos. And my choice was, would I shema? Would I hear what he was saying, and would I do what he was asking me to do? In the words of Paul that Charlie just shared a little while ago, if I have prophecy... If I have heard something from the Father that is on his heart about a particular person, time, place, or thing, and I have not love, I am nothing. God had spoken. The God who cares for me, the God who cares for Charlie, had intervened in the pattern. Now the choice was mine. Now it wasn't overnight, and it wasn't easy, but it was positive movement and a deliberate choosing to trust. I want you to listen to these words from the song, Innocent Man, and see if you can hear God's words to you. I'm not going to sing it. You're safe. (laughs) Some people live with the fear of a touch and the anger of having been a fool. They will not listen to anyone, so nobody tells them a lie. I know you're only protecting yourself. I know you're thinking of somebody else. Someone who hurts you, but I'm not above making up for the love you've been denying you could ever feel. I'm not above doing anything to restore your faith if I can. Some people see through the eyes of the old before they ever get a look at the young. I'm only willing to hear you cry because I am an innocent man. Some people say they will never believe another promise they hear in the dark because they only remember too well they heard somebody tell them before. I know you don't want to hear what I say. 
I know you're going to keep turning away, but I've been there. And if I can survive, I can keep you alive. I'm not above going through it again. I'm not above being cool for a while. If you're cruel to me, I'll understand. Some people run from a possible fight. Some people figure they can never win. And though this is a fight I could lose, the accused is an innocent man. You know you only hurt yourself out of spite. I guess you'd rather be a martyr tonight. That's your decision. But I'm not below anybody I know if there's a chance of resurrecting a love. I'm not above going back to the start to find out where the heartache began. Some people hope for a miracle cure. Some people just accept the world as it is. But I'm not willing to lay down and die because I am an innocent man. God spoke. I accepted his word of correction and insight, otherwise known as revelation and church talk. I repented. I turned and went a different direction. I went his way. He can do more than you think or imagine. His way is to believe the best. It's been almost 30 years since that visit in the car. But it was a game changer in our marriage. I can still remember his presence that day when he speaks and we obey His grace kicks in, and it gives us the willpower to align our soul, our flesh, with his spirit, which strengthens our spirit. He can break those destructive patterns, and I am testifying to his power to you today. Thank you, my sweet. She always speaks such powerful words. I thought that was my Kleenex, but it's not. <clears throat> now, you may object to her line of reasoning, to this line of reasoning that we we're proposing, because, but he, but she, but they, but, 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 there is another option of how to fill in that gap. It certainly won't move the relationship forward, but there is another option. It's option plan B. That's delight in uncovering mistakes in your partner. That'll build the relationship. It thrives on speculation. It assumes the worst and embraces doubt. I doubt you'll do what you say you'll do. That doesn't work, does it? Anybody ever Has anybody ever had that work for them? No hands. I mean, we all do that to some degree, don't we? I do. I, I still have to work hard not to do that. But it's never worked for me, so I don't know why I keep on doing that. Try it. Here's the challenge. Here's the believe the best challenge. Try it for a week. Matt will give you your money back next week if it doesn't work. Okay? Try it for a week. Try believing the best about the, even the most scallywaggiest among you. <laughs> It doesn't necessarily, I'm not saying that other people are the best. I'm saying that our willingness to believe the best makes all the difference. See, our, we must choose to trust. And trust equals acceptance. And hearts are always drawn toward acceptance. Are there difficult conversations? Absolutely. We don't ignore the pain. But guess what? When you're having that difficult conversation, when you're even having those arguments and disagreements, 
think of how much more productive they could be if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that person on the other side of that conversation was for you instead of against you. You can disagree without demeaning the other person. It makes all the difference in the world because happy couples know believing the best is a choice, and it's the happy choice, and that's what happy couples know. So you've heard us say here around here all the time, we're saying that Jesus will make your life better, but he also makes you better at life. Remember that. It will make you better at relationships because following Jesus will lead you to a less self-centered life. And as much as I hope that your relationships, your marriages improve, our ultimate agenda is that you would begin or rebegin a relationship with God by choosing to follow Jesus. Because the truth is that by the time you've abused each other in, in your spousal relationship, and I forgot to say past the clipboards. <laughs> Thank you, Jeanette. By the time you've abused each other almost to death in the spousal relationship, you really don't have much relationship left with Jesus. It's hard to hang on. Jesus still loves you. He still thinks the best about you, but you have trouble hanging on to his hopes and dreams for you. And that's a decision you'll never regret, to follow Jesus. And that's a relationship which will always enrich your life. We're going to go into a a season of of prayer here. I'm going to challenge you to do this. I'm going to free you up to do this while Curtis uh, plays over us and sings over us. And Anita and I may pray over you at the same time. Would you thrive if others treated you the way I described today? Say that out loud for me, yes or no. Yes, right? We all would, right? Would you love to have a spouse like the one I've described who who does all these things? Yes or no? Would you want to be that spouse? Your spouse wants that spouse too, right? All right. So be the spouse you want your spouse to be today. Be that person in the relationship that the other person in that relationship wants you to be. You may have been hurt. You may have been damaged in, in in difficult things in the past relationships. You've been scarred, bruised wounded and maybe even in this present relationship you've been abused to some degree this even works there we're not ignoring those things we're just choosing to think better about them your hopes dreams your your box of expectations that we've been talking about has to uh, often runs afoul of your experience you've been left suspicious you're suspicious in your marriage relationship. You may not be suspicious of an affair, but you may be suspicious that they don't have your good in mind. What will it take for you to step out of your past experiences today and declare your spouse like Adita did, declared me an innocent man. That's what happy couples know. That's what God has done for you. He's declared you innocent. Believe him, trust him, and act that way. Happy couples know that they must do for their spouse what God has done for them. And he trusts us until we become what he trusts we can be. You've probably figured out by now, this isn't only for happy couples. This is for happy relationships, right? And this is how God intends for us to engage with all the people around us in this life. It's what happy people do. Take your connect card and write 
on the blank spot on the back of that connect card one or two things. So I'm going to choose to believe the best. I choose to believe the best. If you can't quite go there, write this. I choose, I need help to choose to believe the best. Put your name on there and we'll follow up with you. We'll help you make that choice. But make that choice today, would you? We're going to have some time while Curtis is playing. Bless each other's spouses. If you've had a a rough spot, you know, make a truce. Hold hands. Pray for each other. Do it where you sit. Come up here. Pray with one another. If you have to come alone, come alone. But put your marriage on the altar. And let God deal with it. Let God heal it. Let God change it. And let Him start by changing you. You can never fix the other person in a relationship. You can only fix yourself. So let God work on you. And trust Him to do what needs to be done in the rest of the relationship. That's a mighty step. So come now as Curtis sings. Pray. Stand. Let's stand. Go ahead and make a move somewhere. Do something. Move to the left and bless each other. Just the act of moving will open up the opportunity for you to respond. Father, we ask your spirit to move over the marriages in this room. We ask you to heal. We ask you to to open up the avenues, open up doors, to tear down strongholds and thresholds and walls and barriers, to let your spirit move in and to heal those wounds, those father wounds, those mother wounds, those husband wounds, those wife wounds. I ask, Father, that you would build a level of trust that's ever before been experienced by the couples who are here today, that they would learn to love each other, to trust each other, and to know that you are the center of their marriage, and they can trust you with their marriage. Help them to lay down the weapons of their warfare in their marriage. Help us each to humble ourselves before you, and to say, you are God. And we want to be like you. We recognize that our marriage relationship is a representation of heaven on earth. And sometimes heaven on earth stinks because of our relationships. Repent. We repent, Father. Give us a heart to repent for our contribution to assuming the worst about our spouses. Guide us with wisdom. Teach us to love the way you love us. Teach us to love. yourselves before God you can never humble yourselves before your spouse if you can't humble yourselves before God trust God with your humility
many of you have believed lies about your partners, about your spouses, about yourself. Father, we come against those lies and we tear those lies down and we cast those lies away in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, and we declare the truth of your love right here, right now, today. That you are the God of love and because we can experience love with you, we can give love to our spouses. We don't deserve anything better. Father, just as we sang before the sermon, that you tear those things down when we come to you. So, Father, you know the thoughts that are in your children here today. You know the lies that they're believing. You know how those lies have affected what they do and how they act and how they think. Lord, you've given us a flock here and we ask Lord that you tear down those lies in their lives we ask that you empower the couples that are in this room that have healthy relationships that trust and believe in one another that they would rally around those that are struggling Father show us how to be a community of believers that build each other up and that refute the lies of the enemy and say no more The truth of God prevails in this place and in these people. And we are powerful in your might and in your strength. And we love you because there is no one like you who is powerful to transform our minds, to conform our hearts to your heart, and to set us on a path of abundant life. That's the God you are. And we praise you for that, Lord. We praise you, for you alone are worthy, and you are the miracle maker. Amen. Amen.